thank you for listening to Voices of Grace. I am Ryan Peterson. I'm with the communications team at Grace Community Church. And this summer, it's been my pleasure to talk with several of our missionaries serving all around the world. And today, I'm excited to be joined by Shane and Katie Kuster. Uh, they began serving uh, in, in a small Muslim country. We will not name them in Central Asia in 2016. Um, and they've been serving there since. That You guys um, have been back in East Texas for a little bit now, and you'll be heading back to Central Asia uh, in August. But I want to thank you both so much uh, for joining me today. Thank you. You're welcome. It's great to be here. Um, how long have you guys been back? We actually came back at the end of June last year okay. and took a sabbatical for the whole school year. Okay, so I want to get into the sabbatical and maybe how it's recharged your engines. But first, can we get into each of your of your stories? Um, I always like to kind of find out, you know, what led you to this path um, to missions and, and serving the Lord. So um, could you talk about both of you? Where did you grow up? Um, at what point did you come to know Jesus and how that kind of shaped your life? Um, so, Katie, if you'd want to start, um, sure. where, did, where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Illinois and Minnesota. Okay. Um, moved to Minnesota in, like, fifth grade. So. And so did you, did you know Jesus at a young age? Was that something that happened later in life? Can you kind of take us through that? Yeah, I grew up in a Christian home, so going to church every Sunday, and my parents were both givers really like to give and help people so I did grow up in that kind of atmosphere um, and then later when I became like maybe 13 or so I started going on missions trips to Mexico and my pastor was a big influence on my life that he would usually lead those missions trips and um, I think he gave me a book uh, called Living on the Devil's Doorstep by Floyd McClung um, about living in Europe and just working with in the red light district and that just kind of fanned the flame for missions for me. I'm curious at that age, um, going on your first mission trip, did it change your perspective quickly? Was it surprising to you at all? Like, what do you recall most about that? Um, I think it's hard to say. I, I feel like it, it felt pretty natural to me. Okay. Um, I enjoyed just being in Spanish speaking country and, um, yeah, I guess it felt natural. That's really cool. Um, okay, Shane, so tell me about you, where you grew up, and then kind of your journey to knowing the Lord. Um, strangely enough, I also grew up in central Illinois, um, but I was born in California. I moved there as a kid. I actually lived on a pig farm until I was 11, wow. then moved to Champaign-Urbana. Um, my parents were came to know Jesus, I think, for real in the kind of the Jesus revolution in the 70s. Yeah. And so I was you know, along for the ride there, um, but I was really young, and I remember I prayed with my mom to receive Jesus when I was five or something, but it, you know, I was five, I think. Yeah. I remember being at church one Sunday when I was 12, and it just hitting me like, this is for me, and I really, w I wanted to be baptized, and um, it's funny, though, because going through high school, I knew I wanted to play with computers all the time and didn't know quite what degree playing with computers all the time was. Um, and I knew that I didn't want to be a missionary, strangely enough. Interesting. <clears throat> um, but when it was, I was in high school, kind of like Katie, I ended up going up on a, on a couple of missions trips. I didn't really realize that's what they were in some ways. I, we went to Mexico to help with an orphanage and uh, do Bible distribution when I was a freshman and a senior. And it turns out both of those trips were with Youth of the Mission, but I didn't even really know that at the time. And God just kind of had to ease me into it without me thinking about it too much, I think. 
Okay, so how did you guys come to meet one another, um, and then just kind of kind of take us through your relationship and how that unfolded? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, after high school, um, all these plans that I thought I wanted to do were kind of falling through, and my parents had actually hosted a YWAM outreach team and started praying that I would go do the training with them for a few months and. When all the plans fell through, I thought, well, okay, maybe I can do this for a little while and then go to college as soon as I get back. And so I went and did the discipleship training school, thought I was going home, stayed for a school of evangelism, still thought I was going to college as soon as that was done. And God kept kind of nudging me and working on me that he wanted me to stay and work with you the mission longer. So it was about three, four months after I actually came back on staff and started doing maintenance there. Katie shows up to do a DTS, and I still remember the first minute when she walked on stage to introduce herself with her school. I was just kind of <laughs> tracking her across the stage. <laughs> so it took a while before we actually got to know each other. I ended up meeting most of the other students in her school first. I was one of the youngest people on staff, so I kind of preferred hanging out with the students than most of the other staff. Yeah. And we ended up meeting when I shared my Calvin and Hobbes book with her. So, and that was on the Youth of the Mission campus out by Lindale. Uh, so we mm-hmm. we met there, and we're still affiliated with them. Almost thirty-five years later, I don't know. Okay, how long have you been married now? <laughs> twenty-eight years, 28 or almost years. twenty-eight. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess at that time, and then before before you're married, then at that point, because you're both with YWAM, I mean. Did you know at that point, okay, we're going to live a life uh, of being on mission? No. No? Okay. She maybe did. In some ways, she was the good kid who wanted to do missions from a young age, and God kind of had to get me into YWAM before I, in some ways, even realized it was a missions organization. I thought it was just like a discipleship program. You get to know God better. You travel. And I thought, you probably meet girls, too. But But it's pretty cool. You're just getting to travel around. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. so, so yeah. how did how did that I guess the light bulb switch go off that no it, this is about more than just getting to see the world yeah and- I was I don't know we met got married and there was a big project for the 1996 Olympics and that project was kind of coming to the end and I was still looking for an exit like okay well now that this project's done maybe I'll go to school start working stuff like that and we were at a, a like a staff meeting where. Uh, Don Stevens from Mercy Ships started talking about dreams and visions from God and just challenged us to pray about it. And I felt like I didn't have a vision from God. Mm. But when I prayed about it, I thought I heard him speak gently to me that I want you to work in Central Asia. And that was a shock to me. I That was something I'd never wanted to do. And uh, so I thought maybe I was just making things up in my head. But okay. when I got the courage to talk to Katie later, uh, apparently she heard almost the same thing at the same time. And then it got a lot more serious. It was like, well, maybe, you know, maybe we can do this. Uh, and I'll add that at that point we were newly married. So uh, yeah. at the point that we felt like God was calling us to Central Asia. Mm-hmm. So did you guys, um, did you start your family before before you actually went to, like, when did you guys start your family at that point? And do, because that, that's been fascinating to me talking to all the families I've talked to this summer. I mean, it mm-hmm. has to be a huge dynamic. 
Um, you guys have six children, is that correct? Six children. Okay. Um, the first time we went on a scouting trip to Central Asia, our son Christian was six months old, and he was our yeah, only child, obviously, at the time. And yeah, we didn't know what the future held at all, but we just felt like God was calling us, and uh, you know, the safest, most secure place we could be is in, in his call. Katie, is there any, I guess as a parent, was there any fear or, um, it seems like you guys were, you know, steadfast and we're going to trust the Lord, but is there any fear in that in terms of raising, raising your children uh, overseas? It's, it's not going to be the same, the same luxuries maybe that we have here, mm-hmm. or how did you get through that? Um, hmm. I think I have greater fear now as our older kids are young adults. Okay. Um, actually not really fear for their safety obviously but just um being apart is really hard so i guess that's i don't know it's a different kind of fear but i haven't had fear regarding their safety living overseas maybe because we went when christian was so that's our son's name when he was so young um and they kind of grew up in that so our, our children we added more children along the journey and um they just grew up there um the older ones did and it was it feels like a pretty safe place um and honestly, when we're on the other side of the world, looking at the news in America, America seems kind of scary. So <laughs> yeah. we, I maybe had some fear when we came back here for the yeah, sabbatical year. And in fact, we have one daughter who gets, she's super fun and super courageous, but she does get scared by things. And she, she said, I'm afraid to go back to America because of the roads there. They just drive so fast <laughs> in America. <laughs> so um, that I, she's referring to like the country road in front of our house where, okay. yeah, indeed, they should slow down, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, the one place I have little patience is behind the wheel when <laughs> you're driving in East Texas. Um, so um, did you, were you guys connected with Grace before you went or did that happen after? How did that connection happen? It's kind of interesting. We, the first trip overseas was in 1998. So our son, who was six months, is 25 years old now. And we ended up you know, going back and working there for the next, uh, it was almost seven years. And we came back in 2005, got to get the years right, and thought that we were going to be just home for the summer. And God had other plans. And we just ended up you know, with all these other things that had to work on and things didn't happen the way we thought they would. So we had never been affiliated with Grace before. Um, we came back to the YWAM base near Lindale and kind of trying to figure out where we're going from here because we thought we heard this call and it wasn't working out. And so Brian Tima actually came to speak at YWAM one night. And I was like, I like this guy. I, I could go to his church. So we went to check it out and Actually, it wasn't long until they had like a, a missions prayer Sunday, and the country that we were going to was one of the countries that they were praying for, and I wow. couldn't believe it. Nobody talks about this place. Yeah. So I was like, I really like this church. And so it turned out that we went there for almost 10 years um, before we ever returned. So when we went back in 2016, it was like a whole new ball game. That's cool. Um, so can you guys talk about uh, each, you know, individually what you're doing, I guess, to for your ministry over there and what your your life looks like each day? Mm-hmm. Um, well, of course, I'm a mom, so do all the mom <laughs> things, right? Um, but 
I, I've said that God put a plot twist in my story. That's how it feels like, because when we first moved over, I knew I'd be working with women and children. I thought that would mostly be the local women and children, but I ended up getting plugged in with a small ministry to um, refugees from other nearby countries. Um, so, and yeah, I'm working with those women and children, and they have fled for various reasons. Some of them have fled because of persecution, because they're Christians, or persecution because of their ethnicity, or um, you know, some of their some of their stories I don't even know. Like I'm told a false story, and there's some kind of trouble that they're running from. So it's really just not across the board the same thing for all the refugees who have come. They all have their own reasons for having to flee. Um, and that's a, it's a pretty big thing, and I feel like what I do is quite small, but there's so few people helping them that it still makes a difference. So um, I help with food distribution, and I go visit families in their homes and meet, meet them and their children and um, hear their stories. If we, if we have enough language between the local language and English and then their language from their home country, it's, it's sometimes a mix. Sometimes we're um, each speaking in the local language, which I'm not fluent in and they're not fluent in. So it's, um, it's interesting trying to hear someone's story in that capacity. But um, that's, yeah, that's pretty important to have a place, um, people that you can trust to share your story with. And then also when we go on home visits, me and a teammate, we can see the conditions of what they're living in. Like, for example, maybe... There's a mom that I know, she was really concerned about her child. He had breathing problems and I visited in their home or I, I asked questions about their home and realized they have a lot of mold, you know? So we're like, okay, let's look at this situation with the mold. Let's, you know, could we find some kind of different housing or something? Or we can, one of my teammates literally would like open up the refrigerator door and see like they have no food in their home, like they need food, which is usually something that we bring them. Or maybe they need blankets, it's just really, super practical things but just offering friendship offering food offering the word of god like just sharing god's word and taking the time to pray with them um is a pretty uh, central part of what we do but then also i have women and children's fellowship in my home so they come on a regular basis to my house and we have worship and prayer and bible reading all in their language um and of course some tea time and the children play outside and it's a great time to connect and visit and put our focus back on the Lord and on encouraging one another. That's great. And Shane, what what is what do your days look like and how are you serving? Yeah, I'm just kind of blown away and I love the way God uses your gifts. And I'm totally different than Katie or, or a typical missionary. Mm-hmm. Even things that you might think are a weakness, God can use as a strength. Um for example, so I, what I do is I usually teach missionary kids in a school we help start. Okay. And uh, some people may see it as a weakness that maybe I get along with junior high kids better than adults. And <laughs> But it makes me a reasonably good geometry, pre-algebra, computer science teacher. And it's cool to see how a lot of these families either consider coming to the country or stay in the country because there's a school for their kids and it lets them do so much more, you know, upfront direct ministry. But yeah. I, I love being in that role and teaching the kids and fixing their computers, keeping the 
computer labs working and stuff like that. So I do get to play with computers all the time like I thought I would, but as a missionary, so never saw that coming. So teaching missionary children, do you get to know any of these families? Well? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I'm curious, have you been able to kind of pour into these families or maybe if they're going through something like maybe you've been there before and you can kind of help them? Sometimes. Uh, I mean, a lot of these kids that I end up really connecting with really like math and science and things like that. And yeah. so, and they are into games and I kind of used to be a gamer. And so, yeah, so my, my favorite story is this uh, kid who is a refugee from Afghanistan and ended up in the country where we work in uh, on their way, hopefully to a better life and kind of got stuck there. So I ended up teaching him through junior high and most of high school, uh, IT classes, math classes. And it just, it was a cool connection. And it was really exciting that earlier this year, him and his father were finally able to get permission to leave the country and were given uh, asylum in Canada. So he's going to be able to pursue his dreams of becoming an engineer now and get a real education. And so That's cool. it's really exciting to see that kind of stuff happen. Um, how... Um, difficult is it, Katie? Because I know most of the people uh, in the country you guys are in are Muslim, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, is the dynamic weird? Do you feel like they, th if if they see you, they feel they're being judged or they're judging you? Um, I'm curious because here, you know, it's like we're we're surrounded, or at least we like to think we're surrounded by a lot of Christians and believers. And when you're surrounded by um, a Muslim country. Is it, is it difficult? Um, do you feel like you're being judged when you walk somewhere? No, I don't. They are really um, friendly and kind. Um, not so much like on the street. You definitely have to get to know each other. But, um, yeah, they're very hospitable people. And they are nominal Muslims. So they they actually think that they're just born a Muslim. Okay. Like not born, you know, for sure born of their country. But also that is just such a part of their, their identity. Yeah. And that's also these other nations that we're working with, with refugees, they literally have on their ID cards, whether they're Muslim or Christian. So it's just not necessarily something that they're diligently practicing or devout about, but it's just who they are. Um, and then with that, they think that the Western world is Christian. So it's like, oh yes, of course, uh, this family is a Christian family because they're, they're from assuming, America. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, but it is actually really easy to talk to Muslims about God and about the Lord because that is very much part of their culture, just mm -hmm. to um, add God into the talk. I mean, sometimes it's more like a superstitious kind of thing, like, you know, in the Bible it talks about um, don't make your plans, but say like, Lord willing, this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. They they use that a lot. Um, and actually now I use it more too, and, but I really mean it. Like, Lord willing, we'll do this or that. But um, they say it about all the things, <laughs> you know, if God permits, then this will happen. So I'm like, I'll see you tomorrow. Well, God willing, I'll see you tomorrow. So um, that kind of stuff makes it, I don't know, it's just easy to talk about God with them. And now talking about Jesus being the Son of God, that's a whole nother story. Um, but being a Christian, as far as being Westerners and being Christians, that's okay. The people that we know from other nations that are refugees, the locals think that they should be Muslims. They should not be Christians because of where they're from. And so that can be problematic. Yeah. Have you guys, do you have a story or an example of just where you were amazed by something God did? Yeah, do you, me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, yes, I mean, there's a lot of stories with working with the refugees that um, I could talk for a long time, but I'll just share one story. I'm like, which one should I pick? Um, there's one single mom with two young boys that um, my teammate was about to leave the country. She said, please, will you come with me to meet this young mom because I, you know, I'm about to go and I poured into her, you know, faithfully she had met with her, the teammates um, had, had just been, yeah, had a good relationship and met regularly with her and would take her food bags as well and would pray with her even though this young woman is a Muslim woman um, and pretty devout actually. so I went out there and along with another teammate, so three of us, go to visit her. And she's just living in this in, in terrible conditions with her two little boys. And um, she, yeah, she was very persecuted even within her own family for reasons that, you know, she just couldn't control. Yeah. Um, it's, it was really sad and devastating. Really, she's, I feel like she's so brave and so resilient. Um, but anyway, the teammate who had a good relationship with her, she did leave the country. And then me and the third teammate, we we did some, we stayed in contact with her a little bit. But eventually I asked one of my local friends who's a Christian, hey, would you be willing to hire this young mom um, to clean your house? And, and Shane and I will help you pay to, to clean for her to clean your house. But I just felt like she just really needed a job. That's one of the biggest needs for all the refugees is please help me find work. Um, and I felt like for this one girl, we could we could maybe do that. So this local believer family hires her, and God just gives her basically a family within that believer family. And then they were praying for her, and they were discipling her without even realizing that they're discipling her, you know, because she's in their home. When someone enters your home, they're seeing all kinds of things that you don't know that right. they're aware of. And, and if you're a godly person, and if you're seeking the Lord, they're going to pick up on things that you do out of love for God that you don't even know that you're doing. Um, So anyway, eventually, this young mom comes to our local believer friend, and she says, I had a dream last night. It was an angel. An angel came down with a sign that says, receive Jesus. And so my local friend said to her, oh, really? They talked a bit, and not much happened. And then she came back later and said, I had this dream again, <laughs> the sign that says, receive Jesus. She's like, I just, I don't know what to do. And my local friend's like, I think it means you shouldn't receive Jesus. And so they prayed together. And it might sound funny, like, oh, I don't know what to do. But you've got to remember, she's a devout Muslim. All that she's ever learned is to follow one way, you know, follow Muhammad and not Jesus. So it was just such a... It was a hard decision for her, mm-hmm. but she did. She, um, my local friend, prayed with her, and then of course I was still connected with her as well. And eventually, she got part, became part of a local fellowship, and got to be surrounded by people that really loved the Lord and that accepted her sons as well, and could just, um, you know, meet on a weekly basis and have the children play together, and it just made such a big difference. And she has so much more hope and. One thing that just like a visual um, a manifestation, I guess, is that I saw was when I first met her, she had the very, very tight hijab on, very dark black and the big cloak, the abaya, and there's nothing wrong. You know, that doesn't, you know, state her character, mm-hmm. how she's dressed. But towards the end, right before I left, 
she came to visit me and she had she still was very modestly dressed had her sleeves were down to her wrist and her dress was as long you know down to her ankles but she had this light like rose colored hijab on and her face was like radiant she had like little flowers on her dress and it just was so much um freer and more just lighter you know it was it was a beautiful it was beautiful to see her in person but just also to see that change in her just that what was going on on the inside was being shown on the outside as well okay so you guys have been been back i guess on sabbatical um what for a little over a year and now you're about to head back to uh central asia do you feel refreshed are are you eager excited um has it felt weird being gone that long i mean how do you guys feel as we're nearing the end of your sabbatical heading back um definitely very refreshed but it was a little strange with the different covid lockdowns and stuff like that we had to do for a time we were we needed to send a text to the government to get permission to leave our house for a couple hours or something oh, wow. like that. So it was, yeah, we were just stuck at home a lot and it was rough on our girls. So just being able to come back and really just have a lot more freedom was has been great for them. I think they're doing so much better now. And we took, I don't know, I think it was several months before we started to feel like this was a normal place to live again, just getting our minds wrapped around being here, I think. But now it's like, yeah, this has been really great. We've been able to have really quality time with our family and we're starting to really look forward to getting back to, um, just back to work, I guess, in some ways. Mm-hmm. I'll add something to that. Um, before we came back um, from living overseas, I knew that we need to work on our marriage. And uh, I think some of the first weeks back in church uh, at Grace, there was a announcement for the re-engage yeah. classes and so to us that sounded less scary than going to a counselor <laughs> so we <laughs> signed up for the re-engage course which is pretty intense you know yeah. you go there every week I think it was for 16 weeks and you do homework together and separately and discuss it and all the things so um, yeah that was super helpful and you know it's something that's not available where we live yeah. and so I think it was great that that was available right off the bat for us. And then this, after that was over, so like in January, we took the perspectives course, which Shane had taken that perspectives course before, but I hadn't. And it was just like one more thing to help keep my passion for missions alive because, you know, honestly, there's the draw to just stay in America, right. stay close to family. Like, why am I doing this again? And then you do something like go to perspectives and you get the bigger picture and you're like, yes, there, there's a purpose. There's a reason why we started down this path and we need to continue following where the Lord is leading. And for now, he's leading us back to Central Asia. So we're going to follow him. Yeah. And Katie, I'm glad you said that because I did want to ask you guys, because of the difficulties with COVID and being able to leave your house and then you come back, was there ever any doubt or thought, do we want to go back? Mm -hmm. Um, Did that ever cross you guys' mind? I think a little bit, but we both were doing things that other people weren't doing. So if like if Shane would have left, for example, there's a couple of different areas that he was doing IT work for that his skills helped a lot during that those times of lockdown to be able to keep people connected keep people in a job (laughs) some people would have maybe not even had work if he hadn't helped 
make things possible over Zoom or whatever. I don't know all that IT stuff that he did, but I know it made a big difference. And then as for me, like I, all my teammates were gone by that point, except for our daughter Isabel was helping me with refugee work. Um, so I think we realized like if we stay, we can do this, even with all the lockdowns and the restrictions, um, it's there's still a purpose in us being here. I don't think we realized what a toll it would take on us because, of course, we didn't realize how long all those restrictions were going to last for. So, um, yeah, I guess that's veering off of the question. But anyway, I'm glad we stayed. Um, but I'm also glad we returned and had some time to kind of like heal and recover and also to let our daughter, who just graduated um, from Christian Heritage School, um, she yeah, it was good for her to have like a transition year before she goes off to college. That's great. Okay, so as you guys prepare uh, to go back, how can we as a church be praying for you guys? And, and what is your hope moving forward for the ministry that, that you're doing there? And I mean, just how can we be praying for you? Um, I think the biggest one is when we went back in 2016, we had our whole family together. Uh, so us and the six kids and Somehow it didn't even really enter our mind that that was going to change rapidly. Um, so our son left about a, a year later, and then every year or two, one another of our daughters would move back here. And so this time we're going well back with just two of the six kids, and that's going to be hard on our hearts in some ways. Um, so that's definitely a, a prayer request. Um, do you add, add anything? Yeah, I would ask for prayer just that we can glorify God and the things yeah. that we do and that we can enjoy the Lord in the process and that God can enjoy us, you know, like that we will, what we do, a lot of what we do is just very slow and steady, small things. I think it's rare that we do like really great big things for God. It's just a lot of um, little by little, you know, but just that we would enjoy the Lord in the process and glorify him. That's so good, and that's something, hey, we all need to be doing. So well, I thank you guys so much for your time. We'll be praying for you. I wish you all the best as you um, head back. When do you guys head back to Central Asia? Um, August 23rd. August 23rd. So. Okay, so we'll be thanking about you and praying for you again. Thank you so much uh, for what you're doing, um, and just thank you for your love for God appreciate you guys. Thank you. Well, thank you so much again to Shannon Katie Cooster. Thank you for listening, and please listen to all of our episodes with all of our missionaries back uh, this summer. I hope it convicts you in your heart to be on mission wherever we all live, work, and play. I'm Ryan Peterson. Thanks for listening. This is Voices of Grace.